presented by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey. This is the number one podcast directed to goaltending. In Goal Magazine, In Goal Radio, the podcast is on the air with Darren Millard, Kevin Woodley, and David Hutchison. Today, I want to tell you right off the bat, we have a fantastic discussion with Andrew Raycroft. And people, gather around the computer or your headphones. And parents, make sure that kids of all positions listen to this interview because he has some great advice for everybody, not just goaltenders. And in particular, he gets specific about the challenges of being a young person in the National Hockey League when you're just cutting your teeth. You think it's all glory? Yeah, there's some uh, things that just make it a little more uh, challenging. Let's bring in the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, Hutch and Woody. And uh, along with Raycroft, we have the gear segment. We're going to head out to uh, CCM and Adam Gans, the Director of Innovation at CCM Hockey. He's going to tell us all about the E-Flex 4 stick that's been out for a while. I had another chance to use a pattern uh, of a pro goaltender. Don't want to tip my hand yet, uh, but uh, pro goaltender uh, the other day, I can't believe how much better I shoot the puck. Like it is really scary how much that stick makes a difference. And I admit, I admit, when that stick launched and Woody came back and said he he was blown away by it, I thought, how much difference can it make? I'm sold. It was an E-Flex 4, wasn't it? I know the stick. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, and they, so this is funny, guys, because my column for NHL.com, um, the Unmasked Weekly column that I write last week was about composite sticks, right? And... One of the things we're going to talk about Adam Gant, with Adam Gans about in this gear segment is where it's going. Like, are, where are we headed with this? And talking to goalies around the league about this trend and, you know, are we going to get sticks as dialed in? We've seen it with CCM, with the E-Flex 4 having a little bit more of an easy flex, you know, right through the paddle so you can sort of snap quick shots off the ice. Uh, I was talking to Jordan Binnington this, this week. And he liked the idea. It's funny. I mentioned the idea that we got last year um, from Alex Stalock about having an empty net stick because for Bennington, it's more like shuffleboard. Like he likes it a little stiffer and just, you know, he doesn't, he says the stick and the curve he has isn't really good for raising. It's just for quick passes, but he likes the concept of switching it. So like, I'm fascinated to see where this discussion goes. It's good to hear that Darren, that you felt the difference in that stick in terms of, of passing. Did you guys know that two years ago, Half the NHL, half the NHL goalies were still using a foam core wood stick. And as of the start of this season, there are only five left. Can you name them? Marc-Andre Fleury. That That's the, one. He's, that the, he's, the, one. he's the last guy in CCM. Okay, the, last we guy need, in CCM. Hutch, Hutch, you're going to have to produce this with like some Jeopardy music at this point. Oh, totally. Do, 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 Anderson. do, do, do. No. But there's I, two I, of them. There I, has to be one of them. One of them has to use it. No, but I did mention the name of one of them already. I'll give you Alex Stalock. Okay. So there's two. There's two other guys that are on the same team. One of them has really... They both actually have really old school soft pads that they wear. Uh, Jonathan Quick. No, he's Darren got it. Jonathan Quick and yep, Jack, okay. Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell. Yep. yep. I'm get, I'm taking two for that. So I've got I have three of the five right now. Oh, uh, Darren, you, you win. Can. I only thought there was one anyway. So you only thought there was one? Yep. I thought we were oh, down. Oh, because to one. there was there's one left in CCM in, in yep. Marc Andre. Yep. Technically you're right there. Well. And who's the who's the fifth one? 
Bobrovsky? No, Bob switched last year. Um, he switched. He was like, he was late with it. Yeah, and of course we know he wore the he used the white stick because Warrior stopped using the factory. I think it was the Heritage factory in Canada, so he couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. And then he got a Vaughn one, and Vaughn hadn't paid the rights fee, so he just used a white stick. But he switched to a CCM Eflex Four. We talked about that with him last week, and I'll have that up at uh, ingoldmag.com as part of a re- review later this week. So Alex Stalock, Jonathan Quick, Jack Campbell, Mark Andre Fleury, and the last holdout for Ryan Elliott of the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, of course. Who told me why? Will, why would that be? Of course. But just because I am an old man with a bad brain, and I think Kevin told me this one about a week ago. So. So, so, but Els, Els is still in a model that Warrior was making in the Finnish factory, which they, of course, closed this summer. So Elliot had, he told me he had the flyers just load up so he's got enough twigs for the whole year. I asked him what's going to, because that's the other thing. Supply, as Adam Gans talks about, there's fewer sticks being made, which means it's harder to pick out the good wood for the pros because you're not seeing as much volume as, as everyone at every age switches over to composite. So the quality of the foam cores in the wood is harder to to get the level that NHL guys are used to. So I asked Brian, like, what's going to happen? Like, you might not even have the option. I loved his line. He's like, maybe I'll just have to go to Canadian Tire and see what they got left. <laughs> wow. Why doesn't he switch, though? Um, I can tell you exactly. I, at the end of the day, he's tried a bunch of them. And he even said, like, they get better and they get better. But he actually loves the soft feel and the flex. You talked about the flex of E-Flex 4. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we talk about CCM and E-Flex 4, and we'll talk with Adam Gans about it, that flex and the concept of building those options into a composite stick, like that's that's new, right? Like that's not, that hasn't been around a lot. Bauer had a little bit of it with their 2S Pro stick. That I found had a little more of that flex in the paddle. Um, but those were sort of trends in sticks that we were just starting to see in foam core, varying flexes, dialed in things for specific needs. And so that's that's kind of new. And guys are guys are slow. At the end of the day, they like to feel like he pretty much, Elliot said, like every time a puck hits, a low shot hits the stick, there's like the wood's probably breaking a little bit and coming apart. But he likes that softness that it actually absorbs the puck, even if it means it's it's probably actually breaking a little bit. And, you know, he's just he's not ready to give that up yet. Have you guys ever heard of people getting a tendonitis or tennis elbow uh, using composite sticks, uh, goaltenders? A, a, a therapist actually threw that at me uh, a while ago, and I didn't get it, but I understand because of the vibration and taking shot after shot after shot after shot in, in practice and the, the less absorption from, from a stick. It it's a theory. So I just wondered whether you guys had ever heard that. Well, I haven't heard it and we haven't seen it yet. I mean, no. you know, and let's like as much as the trend towards almost everybody being in composite is new. Like I said, half the league two years ago, now just five guys left. I mean, they've been around since like 2006, 2007. Like Bauer led the charge here, right? I remember Cam Ward in 2007 after he won the cup switching over to their composite. Yeah. So guys have been in I there. Have one of his sticks from that era. Yes. Yeah, so the guys have been in them a long time, and and I've never heard that to be honest with you. And you know, and I think that's a perfect chance to throw to Adam Gans because as he explains to us in our interview, Darren, sure. the materials and their ability as a, as a, as a materials engineer like himself to sort of dial in the properties and mimic that feel and get rid of that vibration. Like they've they, they're getting they're getting pretty close. Henrik Lundqvist 
He was the last guy in Bauer. He went from wood and a foam core model last season to a full composite. Now he's completely switched over. So I think I think their ability, and that was the vapor stick that we talked about in our review, again, mimics that feel of foam core. Is it the exact same? No. Is there an adjustment period? Yes. But they're getting pretty close to what it felt like before. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to ch- chat with uh, Jake Allen in just a little bit. And uh, just a, a conversation that with information that you've not heard before, because I, if if Kevin Woodley hasn't heard about something like this and David Hutchison, then then you haven't either. Just a, a different way to approach things. And Andrew Raycroft is also coming up. But uh, yeah, let's audible over to Adam Gans talking about the Eflex 4 stick and all the technology that goes into that. The old uh, chicken and egg theory comes up. Adam Gans is the Director of Innovation at CCM Hockey, our gear segment presented by Source for Sports, Surrey, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. All right, welcome to the gear segment here on In Goal Radio, the podcast. We're going to do things a little different today. We're giving Cam from the hockey shop a week off, um, and we're going to go to Montreal instead. Uh, Special guest, Adam Gans. Uh, who is the Director of Innovation with CCM Hockey, former Business Director of Sticks for CCM Hockey. Uh, We're going to talk Sticks Composite Technology with Adam, who has a Bachelor of Engineering, Mechanical Engineering and Composites from McGill University, played some hockey at McGill University. I want to start, Adam, by when you're going to school, is a job and life in the hockey industry, anything you had in mind, or walk us through how you got to here. Um, yeah, it was, I think at that point it definitely was, uh, it was an interesting one as uh, I was a goal, uh, when I played and probably one of the first things that got me interested in composite materials was actually figuring out how to make my own goalie mask at some point. And it's from there. And after doing all these little sketches and things like that, you know, we ended up, um, just in the industry almost by accident. So we were fortunate that, being based where we are. And I'd say one of our competitors uh, is also based in the area as well. And so uh, through that, I ended up doing a, a student project. There was supposed to be a year and then suddenly it became 19 years and, and just there. And then and now it's been almost, let's say, 24 years in the industry. So it's, it's been pretty lucky. So uh, basically the way it all kind of played out was, um, you know, we did this project on the impact of goalie sticks. And at the time uh, we were starting to look at you know, the possibility of making uh, goalie sticks out of composites and looking at how they behaved when they took impacts. And I guess they were happy with what we did. And they were, you know, it was uh, graduation was one day and my first day in the industry was the, the next day and, and been in the industry ever since. And that was, so that's around 2003 and here we are 2019. So that's, I, that's, I'm, that's a, I'm a little bit older than that. I heard that I was, was actually 19, <laughs> that was uh, 1997 actually. Nice. See, I'm not so good at the math here. I was like, that wasn't adding up to me. So this is we're 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 going to leave the math to the engineer and the smart people from now on. But the fact you were a goalie, yeah. The fact you're a goalie and composite sticks, we've seen them. I mean, compared to players, uh, a little slower to be adopted. Now everyone's using them right up to the NHL level. It's it's actually hard to find guys that aren't in a composite. Mm-hmm. But you've been on the leading edge of this. What? What was the challenge to get widespread adoption? What made goalie sticks different as a goalie yourself compared to, say, working with players and what we saw, you know, a much broader earlier adoption of composites? Um, There are a number of factors involved in that. I mean, I think one thing was just like the performance benefits for the the player 
just came a lot earlier, just based on the way that the carbon fiber would, would respond, uh, what guys could achieve, and also the weight uh, influence that you could get. And also, I think the other thing too is that players tend to focus first on sticks, then on skates, and then everything else comes through. Where goalies, I'd say, tend to focus on other things. So it was that was part of the the slow entry. And I think the other part too was just because it took a little bit of extra effort, knowing the way the, the goalie stick is you know, designed and performed or, or the way it's, uh, you know, built. Um, it just, it took a little bit more time to find the right way. So exploiting the, the properties of, of uh, carbon fiber and a goalie stick. I'm curious about those properties and, and the process of innovation. Uh, sort of maybe a chicken and egg question. Does it start with, this is what we'd like the stick to do. And now can we find some materials or do you discover new materials and then think, how am I going to take advantage of that? And technology with sticks? Uh, I think as a starting point, I think I generally believe that to get truly good innovation, you really have to understand what you're trying to do and what the application is. And so a lot of it just starts from the research. And and for me, I think it was an advantage having been a goaltender and then, and then just looking at how you use the product and, and uh, that, I mean, obviously the, the, the role of the goalie has changed a lot, the way it's played, the size of the goalies as well, uh, the stick handling that's going on right now. So it's kind of like this moving target. Uh, but when you are doing that development, the starting point is, is, okay, what are we trying to achieve? And then from there, it's picking the right materials that, that, that work for the product. And so in the case of like the, the Eflex 4 pulley stick, the, the one we we're going to talk about today. So some of it is, you know, getting after things like carbon fiber, which have very good mechanical properties are very strong. Uh, but also one of the things too is, um, you know, as much as, you know, carbon fiber is very good in, in some ways, it also tends to resonate a lot when you get an impact. So you end up bringing in other materials like an Inegra, uh, which is on that E-Flex 4 goal stick, which is a, a dampening material that also happens to be very tough um, and very good in impact. And so it's all about like, you know, starting with, okay, what do I actually want to achieve with this product? And then from there, you know, start the design of the shape, the choice of materials, and then working it down through there. And, you know, another place where we're, we're obviously fortunate that you know, being at CCM is we've got access to, you know, some of the best goalies in, in the world and obviously getting their insights at the onset when you, when you're starting and when you're establishing like what your, what your objectives are, what you're trying to achieve with the product is great, but also having there also at the end of the, the development cycle where you're actually validating the product, does this do what we wanted it to do? Uh, that certainly helps as well. I wanted to ask a little bit what, you know, what is that feedback cycle? How much of it is lab and how much of it is real world? You talked about it there. Um, where does, in terms of the real world and getting feedback from the best in the game, where, where does the lab fit in when, in this process? Cause we've, we've been lucky enough to be in there and seen the facilities you have, how much work goes on there in terms of validating new materials and new designs and making sure it is going to do what you want. I'd say it's absolutely integral in terms of what we do. We always say that's it kind of, the whole process begins and ends with the player. And so from there, like we can, we can get after the initial research through three different means. Like we've got an, a fantastic lab here where we can, you know, we've got cannons and things like that. And, you know, three point bend test where we can measure strength and stiffness and things like that. We also have the performance lab, which is unlike anything else in the industry where we've got this uh, massive lab, uh, a synthetic ice system, a full motion capture system. Almost like you have uh, when you develop video games, uh, it's something like that where you put markers all over the players, and you can measure all sorts of things in terms of you know the, the biomechanics of the player when they're going through any any motion. Uh, but you can also even look at you know puck trajectory, like how does it bounce off of a pad or how does it bounce off of a stick paddle, uh, things like that. And so we get all sorts of insight 
using kind of those three areas, uh, the player, you know, the performance lab and the, um, and the actual physical lab. And then from there, you start down that path of, you know, establishing, you know, what are the things you want to get after, um, you know, some, certain things like if it's strength or, or like, uh, you know, how fast does it bounce off of a paddle? These are things that we can measure quite easily with the labs. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, things like feel, those are kind of things where, you know, the best way to evaluate things like that is, is to give it to uh, goaltenders and get their sense of how it, it performs, how it feels, um, you know, which is an important part of uh, the performance of the product. Those things match often. Like I would think how it bounces off a paddle probably correlates to feel in terms of what you talked about getting that, trying to achieve that feel in a composite stick, which to me would probably be one of the, maybe one of the, one of the early challenges of getting buy-in from pro level guys on composite sticks was to sort of try and mimic as much of the feel as you could. And then to take that further, you talked about Inegra and its properties. We've gone from trying to achieve feel now with eFlex 4, achieving options in flex and personal preference in flex between your lines. Can you talk about how materials have allowed you to do more than just try and get feel now now we're seeing a whole evolution of goalie sticks in terms of how they perform yeah definitely no and um we could talk a little bit about that i mean one of the things that was interesting is is the development of this product it's it was interesting going in to talk about the eflex 4 because you know being a 2019 product we kind of had to go back through the old notes and everything like that right now quite focused on 2021 and 2022 so it was kind of like oh what was i doing two years ago uh (laughs) type discussion but at the time, it was interesting because, um, you know, we had, you go back two, three years ago, we had quite a few of our NHL players were still in foam four goal sticks. And so that was kind of a starting point. And especially when we started off this project, we're, you know, we're focused on, you know, evolving that player who's really looking for feel and understanding that the foam core goal sticks, which are made of like a high density polyurethane foam, have very good dampening properties. One of the starting points was, is, okay, well, how can we create that same kind of feel where you're not getting that, that, you know, that loud sound, but also not getting all those vibrations in your hand. And one of the best materials for that is, is Inegra. It's a, it's a high modulus polypropylene material um, that actually has a very slow uh, speed of sound. So when things are hit and actually the, it dampens out a lot of the vibration before uh, it gets to your hand. And so it's quite good for that. And the other place where it's actually quite effective also is along edges and places like that. It's um, the ballistic material that's very good impact. Um, it's been used in goalie sticks and it's also been used even in like uh, front wings of uh, Formula One cars. Oh, They're wow. trying to you know, protect the carbon fiber in very much the same way, just with much larger budgets. And, um, and it, it's, just, it's good for that as well. And then you asked the question also about performance. It's definitely something where we're seeing change. Traditionally, a lot of the composite goalie sticks have been relatively stiff versus a foam core, even a wood goalie stick. So one of the things we went off to do is, is to have a softer paddle, which allows the players to load it up a little bit more. And where that's actually becoming particularly advantageous right now is, is we're seeing guys, where for the most part, are, are, as a starting point, they start to, um, they're, they're stick handling more and more. We're also seeing a trend among some of the guys where they're actually cutting the, the handles shorter. So as you decrease the length of that beam, you actually are making it stiffer and stiffer. So the fact that we're able to develop a, a softer flex is, is proving to be particularly advantageous for guys like that, that you that say a, a little bit shorter stick to allow them to do the stick handling. Can we just open a window up here? Because I was having a conversation with a coach yesterday who told me that uh, a retailer 
pretty major retailer, not the one we're working with on this podcast, uh, is telling kids they can't be cutting down their goalie sticks. Sort of an old myth that's been sticking around in the industry for a while. So what's uh, what's your position on that? Um, well, I mean, it has its advantages and, and disadvantages. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of things when you choose your your product, you're looking, you know, for, you know, to you know, maximize a certain part of your game. And so definitely the thing we're seeing right now is, uh, I mean, stick handling has become so important for the goalies. And so where in the past, like a lot of the goalie, a lot of the goalie coaches would be like, oh, you need your full length of handle so you can poke check. Let's say today poke checking is less and less relevant. Mm-hmm. And I would say the stick handling, I mean, has become so important, especially watching the overtime games now when you get a three on three situation the ability of the goalie to to stand candle is 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 super important i should say one of the other guys actually from out west that we've worked with on the project was eli wilson he's a fantastic goalie coach who actually runs stick handling clinics and like as as an old goalie it's it's a little bit shocking to hear about goalie schools where you do nothing but stick handling but that's that's the game today and it's it's become so important and so from that standpoint, um, you know, it, it, I understand the benefit of, of cutting it down. It does have a, di- you know, a disadvantage of, um, in terms of, you know, like, uh, you know, reach, it will decrease your reach. It also change the, the balance of the goalie stick as well. So mm-hmm. if you have less material above your hand, it's, you know, your, your stick will feel a little bit more like a hammer, but I mean, unfortunately, like with the, the sticks we've got coming out now, they're so well balanced that you know, you're not really losing that much from a balance standpoint and, and their gains you had as well. But it's, it's one of those things, I mean, it's, it's going to be dictated by the, the height of the player, the length of his arms and, and how he does the stick handles. We've seen it. Where's, where's the future? Cause we've seen it with players. We see it now. Like to me, Eflex four was a major evolution because it gave you two distinct lines, one stiffer and one with more flex through the paddle. And from a puck handling perspective, I mean, uh, you know, Speaking personally, my beer league team would prefer it if I just stayed in the net, frankly. But now that I've tried the E-Flex 4, like I'm just, I like, I think that I'm Marty Turco out there because I, I feel like I can snap it. It's got, it's just so much easier to get that little quick flex and it comes off there a lot hotter and you just feel good about it. So you've got these two distinct products. What's the future? Do we get into more customizable options? Will we ever see, like, do you think there are goalies at the NHL as they get more and more skilled puck handling? that are going to start looking for like we see on the player side, like custom flex, different kick points. Like, is, is that possibly a future of six or am I being too ambitious in that regard? No, I don't think you're being ambitious at all. I mean, I think we already, um, we actually already get a lot of insight from our pro athletes about, um, little features and little things they're looking for. Kick point is definitely something we discuss with the pro players. And I think is, is, is part of the future. Um, and also curvatures, you have to think that they're going to start to change a little bit as guys, you know, focus more and more on, on the stick handling and, and go to you know, stick handling camps and things like that. I, as that becomes more and more kind of uh, critical to a, a goaltender being able to play at a higher level, then yeah, it's without doubt that we're going to be you know, looking at developing patterns and things like that and kick points that, that help in terms of the shooting in terms of the stick handling. Um, obviously too, the fact that there's so much lighter, I mean, that's, I, I, I played at a time when, uh, 850 gram goalie stick was considered a light goalie stick. And then you didn't want to pick up the heavier ones. And now, you know, we're down in the, this, you know, the mid six hundreds. Um, so that, that too is, you know, allows you to stick handle, you know, in ways you couldn't in the past. And I imagine, you know, some of these trends are going to continue, but definitely like the, the coaching and the way the game is changing to such a quick game uh, are definitely going to influence um, how that product evolves. 
we've got obviously a a very educated audience who's going to be familiar with a lot of this, but but I think it's also fair to say there's a lot of parents and kids listening in. Um, what what can you tell us? What can you recommend in your line for for the younger goaltender? Uh, for the parents who want to outfit their kid who's, you know, 10 years old or younger or something. I mean, it would seem to me the E-Flex line is what fits best because it's a little bit more flexible. But uh, what, what's going on for the youngsters? I think the main thing is is with the youngsters to to make sure that he's in his he's in his position with his skates on. And to, from there, look at his hand position. Something that I think has always been really important is, is getting the proper lie and getting the proper paddle height at that age. You know, if you that balance of the goaltender is so critical that having the right paddle heights, your hands are in the right position. So then everything comes together is, is super important. So I think that would be the, the starting point. It's actually, it's one of the things that's, it's actually interesting with the evolution of the goal sticks where, you know, I recall a couple of years ago talking to some pro goalies and they talk about how the, the goal stick was almost like a form of ballast where, you know, being heavy would actually, you know, forward yeah. and get you more in your toes. And then as, as they reduced in weight, you act, actually had to change things around. A bit and um, but it just goes to show the importance of of being well balanced in the, the appropriate position, and so that's where it's key. I mean that things like that are important from day one, and so I think for me the the first thing to look at is just make sure the kid has the right size, um, you know the right you know the right size paddle height and lie so that he's sitting in a in a comfortable position where his weight is is distributed in the right areas. We've talked about eFlex 4, a stick we like here that we're, we're testing, got a review coming up soon. We talked about that flex. Can you walk us through the process of just developing it and coming up with something that really was completely different uh, in terms of a, an alternative line for CCM and the composite goalie stick department? Well, I think, I mean, going through the, the goal stick you asked earlier about like the development process and everything, and that's something that I'm glad you've had a, a positive experience with that, the eFlex 4 stick. I mean, a lot went into that and it was, it was a, a neat opportunity in the sense that we were able to start from scratch on that, on that product. And, and so it, when you look at it compared to previous versions, there are a lot of little nuances, like whether it's like the thinner heel, just allow you to get up, you know, under the puck a little bit more, it's a thinner blade. So by making it thinner, you, you can use a certain materials that you couldn't use otherwise. Um, and it gives certain dampening characteristics that you wouldn't have if it was a thicker structure and even little things too. You look at the handle, which has got a, a rounder profile, which uh, for anyone in, in the composites world, you know that as you round out the corners, uh, you naturally get a better impact resistance. And so it's like all these little uh, nuances within the product. There are a lot of little things that make big differences on that on that product. I wanted to ask you about that, actually. I, I had almost forgotten about the rounded handle on that. What was the testing? Was, was that a, something that you the idea you had and then the testing validated it because we've noticed it as well it makes a lot of sense in terms of you know durability is a question we get a lot about about all composite sticks um it is a bigger investment for parents for their kids and yet unlike a foam core it's not going to soften up and break down over time the only question is how is it for puck resistance and you guys have done a lot of work to make sure that it is going to last longer walk me through that process of how you came to the idea of rounding off um that handle well it's, it's just it, it i mean i guess the, the starting point was just a it's a basic principle of, of the composite materials which is um you know the more you're you're forcing into to tight corners the more you're actually just kinking the fiber and, and if you just take a piece of paper and, and and fold it and make a hard kink you'll see where it gets weaker and it's the same kind of thing here and so as you round it out um you just you're you're stressing the the material a little bit less it makes it easier to mold so for better consistency 
but also as it's taking as it taking impacts, you're less likely to have an impact that hits directly on a, a kinked area of the of the fiber where it could potentially be weak. And so I think we've actually got a really nice compromise in terms of what we do, which is it's round, and we've actually seen in the lab that you know through the the profile and the materials we chose to use. We've got a nice uptick in, in uh, mechanical properties or impact resistance, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, it's still it's still a hockey stick. It's still you know a playable structure that doesn't you know doesn't feel awkward in the hands. And it's something too that we only did like um, well above your your grip area. So the grip area is untouched. There you need a little bit of squareness to the profile so that the stick doesn't rotate in your hands. So we actually you know kind of profile it up. But in the areas that you frequently get those impacts. Uh, we round it out and, and, and use the right materials to get that, that higher impact strength. That's awesome. Okay. Listen, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Um, it's funny, compact, or sorry, composite sticks are, like I said, they're everywhere in the NHL right now. They're everywhere in minor hockey. I don't know that anybody's ever really thought to, to look at just how in-depth you have to get to come up with these ideas. So it's fascinating to hear your background and the fact you're a goalie and the evolution and the role you've played in this evolution with CCM Hockey there. It's uh, it's pretty cool. And thank you very much for sharing sort of some, some windows and some insights into that with our audience. Thank you very much. And I look forward to showing you the lab next time you're in town. Perfect. We'll take you up on that. That'd be great. Thank you. You know, the one part that you guys talked about during that interview, Woody, and Hutch, I don't know whether this this impacts you or or not, because there's there's two parts of, of where I'm going to go with this, is where you grip the stick uh, is still square, but the handle is actually rounded on the edges, and that's to protect against and guard against breakage, right? On the E-Flex uh, 4 stick, yeah. The, yeah, the E-Flex uh, 4 stick. The shaft of it has been the rounded off, yeah, as he talked about. And, and you know, honestly, they're, they're, that was the one thing, especially early in composites, like, they're more durable overall than a foam core. I think that's a fair statement because I know this is tough for parents making the investment. Um, they're more durable. They don't soften up like wood and foam core did on the ice and, like, as Brian Elliott told us, with those low shots. But... You get to a certain age, guys are shooting hard enough. Uh, if you're a beer leaguer or, or playing against decent players, like the reality is a good enough shot at, on one spot in the shaft can end that that composite right there and then, and you're out, you know, pretty good chunk of change. That's something that I think they've done a much better job blending the materials, using materials that are a lot more durable. And in CCM's case, makes sense, as Adam explained, round the edges of the shaft so that there's no square edge, right. which is more, more re- susceptible. I was wondering why they didn't round the edges all the way down because it's more comfortable to hold. Except when Adam, with as I'm thinking about this, he, he answers it because of stick rotation, which I never would have thought of. Like if it's, if it's not square, if it's rounded, it just leads to that little percentage of, of rotation on a shot or a scramble or whatever that, that may twist that stick. So I thought that was a really uh, interesting way to bring you inside uh, the, what they're thinking when they design something like this. Yeah, and it's um, that's why they have engineers and smart guys like him <laughs> going through it, right? Like it's kind of been kind of cool. Me and Hutch, got to see it with, uh, with CCM and the amount of innovation and the amount, you know, Adam now the director of innovation, um, the amount of sort of brain power behind some of this stuff, but with a hockey background, right? So I thought it was, pr- appreciate his time 
We're going to try and do mm-hmm. this a little more in the gear segment, still presented by The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. But, you know, we got to give Cam a break every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> people, people are asking for him when they go into the store. He needs a little extra time to meet with his fans. We need to keep the ego a little bit in check. So we're going to go out and about and talk to some of the different people from CCM, from Bauer, from Brian's about the new products. And uh, hope, hopefully our audience likes mixing it in. While you're bringing up Cam and people being able to see him, uh, Kevin, we we published the overview of the new Brian's Optic 2 at ingolmag.com this week. And if anybody wants to see Cam sliding around on the ice, do suggest you go check out that review because there's a nice little video clip of uh, Cam working his magic on the ice. Yeah, Cam uh, Cam did double duty for us uh, last week. Um, had a little ice time issue myself where I couldn't couldn't be the could be the demo goalie. And let's be honest, nobody wants to see me sliding around like an old man on the ice. Usually, oh, Darren and I do. Darren and I do. Ax- yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah I do. it's good. Hutch likes that because when it ends up in an accidental and ugly butter stack, um, it's he likes to capture it and share it. I, I thought I thought Cam was a good sport, did a good job uh, highlighting it. And we've said it before, guys. This is why we go to the hockey shop. This is why you should go to the hockey shop, Source for Sports in Surrey, or thehockeyshop.com because of people like Cam and his staff, because they are out there at 7 o'clock in the morning Woo. to play three-on-three three before his shift at the hockey shop starts. And that gives him an opportunity in this case to be out there on the ice in the new Optic 2. We talked about the CCM lines, the Premier 2 stick with a stiffer flex profile through the paddle, the E-Flex 4 stick with more flex and some of the newer features, including that tapered shaft. You can find all that, plus all the latest models from Warrior, from Bauer in goal, uh, or sorry, in the goal stick department. All the latest gear from all the brands at the best prices at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey and thehockeyshop.com. And if you missed them on the podcast this week, make sure you stop in and say hi to Cam in person uh, when you're there to pick up your newest gear. He'll let you print off the the color photo for the 8x10 in the office. And he'll he sign it? Will he sign it? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an extra $5 to have him personalize it, though. That seems reasonable. Yeah, it nice. seems reasonable. Nice. Hey, I have a question. Uh, the The next time we do the the talking to uh, Adam, uh, how many different curves do you think they actually make right now? It's interesting that you bring up curves. I don't have the answer for that, although I should. Kevin's way better than me. Uh, but one thing we have been talking to them about is typically when a company wants us to have a look at a stick and and give a feel for it. Um, we're only getting one one particular curve, so I think uh, won't be long before we're able to do a bit of an assessment of the different curve options in one single line, because uh, obviously everybody has different preferences. So uh, they, they, we all have different preferences, but yep. how many do you think? How many options or choices do you do you think we actually have? Is it? Cue the Jeopardy see, music again here as Kevin's looking up the real answer. Heel curve, toe curve. We yep. we hear all those things, but is there three, four? five different uh, heel curves is there uh, a mid-range three or four different versions of that I, because because composite sticks your like look the the sacca curve the sacca pattern that that all everybody's used for so many years as uh, on the skaters i mean sacca didn't even use that pattern uh, he's he's admitted that but it's so popular uh but we we're used to those kind of things the coffee the 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 Sackick, uh the the Gretzky, the Eisenman, the those patterns were were really popular. But when it comes to goal stick curves, 
how many different actual curves are there? This is a brilliant segue, Darren. Not to the yeah. information I'm going to give you now, but to check out ingolmag.com for the eFlex 4 review that we have coming up later this week, <laughs> which will include a list of the customizable options you can achieve when ordering a pack of okay. three, including custom grips. We talk about grips, man. You want to talk about a guy that grips it low? Look that at the was bras. my next thing. But you can get some of them. Um, I don't know that, like we've seen, you know, like we saw with, with Bauer, um, we saw the Henrik Lundqvist Pro Returns at the hockey shop and they sold out in a hurry because people like that unique grip. Um, with with CCM, you can get different sort of, you can get different sort of handles at the at the top of the paddle. Um, I did, Bobrovsky, one of the reasons he really liked the CCM stick is they made his, he's got a really narrowed down paddle and Narrow. they built, they built him that. On so his model, side, right? yeah, yeah, his, his comes like that sort of grips it really low. So, um, obviously there's a ton at pro, there's a ton of different ones. What you can get publicly, uh, to be honest with you, I think, uh, it's not as deep. The, the list of options isn't as deep publicly, um, outside of going pro return. I wouldn't expect it to be. No, I, no, I mean, it never is. It's like masks, right? Like yeah. for, for the longest time there were, I think at one point, you know, I remember the old iTech, there was like something, someone told me there were like 16 different patterns and between amongst those 16 different options, they could fit almost every head, but we never got those at retail, right? So it's, so it's a similar story, but there are options and we'll list them completely as part of the customizer review in the uh, CCM Flex 4 stick this week, which ties in nicely to Adam's segment on the pod here. Uh, Hutch, it looked like you were trying to land a plane there. You were waving. <laughs> no i i was i was just gonna say um last one we ordered was a bauer and uh they've actually got the the vapor and the supreme models the vapor has four different uh blade pattern options and the supreme's got two don't know hmm. the reason we need to dig that one out as well um I, I mean you can thoroughly imagine a company wanting to restrict the number of SKUs they've got it makes life a lot easier for manufacturing yeah well, they have to they have to basically create a machine to create every different one in terms of right. mass production, right? Yeah. So hey, do you um just on the the, the paddle, um so I like I like not not the trigger, but uh but I certainly like having sort almost like a Bobrovsky much narrower uh, handle on the paddle right where you grip your stick. If I cut that on a composite, how much do you think it affects the integrity of the stick or does it? Uh, we need to get Adam to answer that one too. But we've how, yeah, many, exactly. how many times have you heard that if somebody nicks a stick, you're you're, you're worried it's about to snap? So. I know. I, I used to do it with my with my wood or foam cores, and you just cut it right, and it, boom, boom, yep. boom. But yep. I haven't yep. not tried that. it with a composite. Uh, I will say yeah, this: I, I know Sean Murray, uh, goalie coach here locally. He promotes a sort of um, unique. Actually, and I owe him a story sort of outlining why, to be honest with you. It's very Lundquist-esque, uh, sort of squared off at the top in the way it, it, it improves the way you hold your blocker and are able to present your blocker and the stick blade. It's actually, yeah. it, it's a really fascinating breakdown in the way he does it. He's, a lot of his goalies are bought, have bought in, and I understand why, because it makes a ton of sense and they really like it. In order to achieve that in a composite, it does require cutting it, and he hasn't had any problems with it. So, oh, there you, go. Um, you know, so so you can. Although I'm sure the you know the the folks that run the company's Bauer CCM Warrior might be cringing as we talk about that. But warranty's out the window. Yeah, it's definitely done, definitely yeah. voiding your warranty. But I tell you what, sounds like uh, we've just you know sort of nicked the tip of the iceberg here. Not to go Titanic on it, 
But uh, I think there's a lot of different things never we good, could. Never a good reference, by the way. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we could probably. It sounds to me like we got some part twos coming up here. That's all I'll say. Oh, for sure. Can I? I'll jump in with two things then. Um, I bet as a whole bunch of people are listening to this, there, there's more questions that people would like to ask Adam. And uh, there's probably more than a few of you willing to tell us that uh, you knew the answer uh, to, to how many curves there are for various companies. And, and lots of you are more on top of those details than we are. Uh, if you want to send us in the details or you want to send us in a question for Adam, uh, hit us up at podcast at ingolmag.com. So that was, was the first that? one. Who just did that? Uh, that's just the guy we bring in to do the voiceovers. We voice just have somebody standing by to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Um, the other one I wanted to hop in with, guys, wasn't really part of the plan, but we're talking about things over at ingolmag.com this week. Um, Pete Fry is an old friend of, of Ingol. He's been uh, friends of ours for many years, but... Uh, He's got an article up at Ingol, and he's going to be bringing us content at least monthly um, as we oh, go cool. forward here. Yeah, uh, Pete's a goalie mindset guy, sort of a sports psychologist type, helps you um, prepare mentally uh, for uh, for being a, a, an elite goaltender. And he works with all sorts of uh, pro and junior goaltenders. And uh, Pete's just a fantastic guy. So he's brought an article to us this week. Um, it's a fun little routine that he actually first suggested to my son when we were having lunch with him a couple of months ago, it's a 60 minute routine that you can go through on non game days to help you um, improve your concentration. We had gone to him saying, look, uh, Maddie's moved up to, uh, to Bantam this year. We're going from shorter periods to three twenties with stop time and long intermissions. And he said, well, here's something you can do to, to elevate your concentration game to a pro level. So there's a number of different things that you can do there. You can sign on to his uh, online program and try some of those things as well. And I just encourage people to go have a look and, and have a little fun. Try something new. Might just make you uh, so talented and so effective that you can channel your, your inner Tuka Rask. Can you imagine being able to channel your inner Tuka Rask? Uh, the Boston Bruins going so good right now. Woody, what do you think? Yeah, no, I can't imagine actually playing behind a team that good either. So, and that's that is definitely a shot at my beer league team. Um, no, but you know yeah, who did point. channel yeah. their inner Tukarask? I think I think that was an attempt at a segue by you. And <laughs> you know, I'm tired and a little slow. No, um, it was a good one, Darren. I fa- came across a story that will actually be up at NHL.com a little later this week. Last year. You know, we talk about the roles that backup goalies play, and I think they got a tough job and an important job at times. Turns out Jake Allen contributed a little more directly to the St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup victory than maybe a lot of people knew. Jake channeled his inner Tuka Rask and actually imitated Tuka Rask for a video session with St. Louis Blues goaltending coach David Alexander before the Stanley Cup final. And he basically tried to present himself a move like Tuca. And the idea was to shoot video and incorporate those visual elements into Dave Alexander's pre-series pre-scout on Tuca Rask. And talking to some of the shooters with the Blues, um, they really had not like just a ton, like guys who have been on other teams in the playoffs, they really had a ton of praise for David Alexander's breakdowns and the way he broke down goaltenders. But they thought that having Jake there to sort of represent it visually presented, you know, just presented the information in, 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 in a way that, you know, they maybe not all of them would be able to understand before seeing it visually. So um, 
managed to catch up with Jake a little bit in the locker room of the Blues this week. And he kind of explained to me the process a little bit. So we'll share a little bit of audio there with you guys. Yeah, me and Dave, I talked to Dave, you know, and obviously me and Dave have a, a long, it's all good. have a you know, good relationship. And, you know, I think, I think we started talking earlier in the playoffs, really. It was more about, because each goalie they played was so different, right? Hellebuck, Bish, Jones, and Rask, right? So you're looking at four different guys that play complete opposite style of game, sizes, techniques, gear. So I said, look, I said, why don't we try to implement something where, you know, we can show the boys what this guy does compared to this guy and, you know, just ways that we can potentially score, you know, and um, the optic, optical illusion each of those guys have is different in the net. And uh, I think that's what we were just trying to create from, from an understanding standpoint for the players is that um, I think me and Dave both understand that, the player side of the the game pretty well so i think we're we try to you know simplify how we could beat these goalies and sometimes you know the optical illusion that they're they look bigger than they are in certain positions in certain ways and just the habits that they have in the net um we try to break it down as best as possible and uh you know if it caused a goal or two in playoffs then we did our job so we're just trying to help the guys out yeah we were no, I was trying. Are you, like, are you in here, Demi? Yeah, you're no, me and Dave would go out early, and I'd try to act like Rask. You know, skate like Rask. I can sort of try to imitate. You know, he does his different backwards C cuts, yeah, C cuts, and just the way he holds himself and how low he looks, but and his chest is forward, and you know, it just a lot of little things that he does, and specific to his game, which this game is great, and um, so it was a, it was just little things that you know we'd go back on all the goals he let in and sort of find tendencies and try to try to imitate them as best as possible and just show guys, not in a long clip, but, you know, a few clips that, you know, I could, Dave could talk voice over and I'd be in the net. That's fascinating. It's like a scout goalie. The, the, the closest thing I've ever heard of in this regard, I know coaches in the past when they've been going to face a, a, a Southpaw, they have brought up, if they have a, a left-handed uh, catching or a right-handed catching goaltender, in the minors, they brought that goaltender up to face in practice. Uh, and I know that's happened, but that's as close. Like, not saying that uh, that goalie A was going to be Tom Barrasso, but he just caught with the same hand. So that that's what they would do. So that's that's fascinating that they went to that length with the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't the whole thing. Um, it was just a part of that pre-scout presentation that David Alexander did before every series. But I, I thought it was fascinating too. I really enjoyed it. And the only other time I think I've seen it, guys, is um, the 2010 Olympics. I remember being there, covering it, and watching a USA practice before they faced Marty Berdur in Canada in the in the preliminary rounds. And I remember Jonathan Quick's down at one end working, and Ryan Miller's at the and and all of a sudden there's Tim Thomas with Ron Wilson at center ice, and he's you know he's. He's making movements that, you know, Marty played different, right? Like, you know, especially as yeah. later in his career, like the separation between his style and everyone's else has got, got wider because um, he didn't conform to all the things that everyone else was doing. And there was, it was like, I remember watching it and being like, yeah, that's like, he's imitating Marty right there, right before a game against Marty. And that was, that was, and it was with coaches and some shooters and looking at tendencies. And that was the closest I'd ever seen to that. I have talked to one goalie coach that evidently asked, his backup goalie to play on the goal line to imitate Mike Smith. 
and another goalie coach. Uh, this is way back. I guess they were facing Hashik, so they were asking a guy to roll over on the odd two pad stack. So it's ha- it's it's ha- it's happened <laughs> before. Pretend you're guy. on fire. Stop, drop, and roll. Yeah, I know. Got and, to talk to him. Yeah, so it's um, so I mean, it has happened before, um, but this is like you said. This to me is never never seen it quite like this. Um, and I thought, yeah, I thought it was neat, especially hey, if you went. Guys your might first- be insulted too, you know. Really? To be asked to do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, that probably speaks to, you know, I, yeah, maybe, maybe in practice, but this wasn't in practice. This was be part of the video presentation. Probably yeah. speaks to the relationship that they have. And, and Jake mentioned that you, you heard in the video. Like he's yeah. got a really strong, like his relationship with Dave Alexander predates Dave being hired by the Blues. And so they have enough, you know, faith in each other and belief in each other to have a, a conversation openly and, and have him be a part of it. I, I just thought it was a pretty cool story. Yeah. Um, that I'd never heard before about the Stanley Cup final. We've come a long way. Although that, I'm trying to think. That's not necessarily innovation. That's more common sense. And I'm, I'm kind of mad at the industry that, that we haven't done that or heard of that more. It just yeah. it does make sense that you would, you would do something like that. Uh, your feature interview uh, this week is Andrew Raycroft, uh, who burst onto the scene with the Boston Bruins, but was a world-class junior before that, and went on to the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, a few other teams. Uh, at one point, held the Maple Leafs record for single-season wins. Uh, and, and had that kind of, they don't look back fondly, uh, with, with great fanfare of his time in Toronto, but he did, he had the, the single season wins record for Toronto for a, for a number of years. Uh, so, uh, he did a lot in, uh, uh, in a really quick time span. And, uh, just before we get into the interview, there's a couple of things to listen here for, uh, one, how young he was when he got to the national hockey league. That is certainly something that uh, that you forget about over the course of time, and uh, his his admiration for Ian Clark uh, certainly uh, really shines through, Woody. Yeah, and actually, and probably why you know I thought was really interesting. You know, we think Ian gets tagged, um, and he's talked about it. Uh, his evolution as a goalie coach, and the two we had him on twice early in earlier episodes. So make sure you go listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but a guy who I think back then was probably known more for being technical. So to hear Andrew and I'll let you, I won't, I won't, I won't um, give it away here, but that wasn't the element that Andrew got out of his time with Ian. It wasn't all about technique. So I thought that was really fascinating. And, and like I said, the whole thing to me was really fascinating. I really enjoyed it. And sometimes when we talk to guys who played before, I think people here, like young goalies will be like, Oh, it's not a current player. I'm, I'm not going to take anything that's going to help me in my game. Uh, you couldn't be further from the truth. Make sure you listen to this one because you will get something out of this. Will help you be a better goaltender. He was a great junior, a Calder Trophy winning goaltender, and now is a broadcaster with Nesson Andrew Raycroft on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Sorcerer Sports Surrey, the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Andrew, it's been a while. The, the, our listeners don't know this, but you had to stop. Well, they know you had to stop here in Vancouver. What they don't know is you had to put up with me, which I think is one of the hardest parts for goaltenders when they get traded to the West Coast or when they sign in Vancouver is having to deal with my annoying goalie questions. And you got the double whammy because I was just starting back then, learning my things from Ian Clark. 
And I probably gravitated towards you even more because my first set of pads was a used set of Reebok, the original RBK in like the bumblebee yellow and black, just like your set in Boston. So you survived here with me and you're still willing to come back on. That makes you the bravest goaltender in the world. <laughs> yeah, extremely brave. But yeah, I certainly didn't know the uh, the extent of goaltending talk would be necessary when I got out to Vancouver, but um, obviously always fun to to see and talk to you about goaltending and, and, uh, to, uh, deal, you know, talk with another Reebok owner, uh, you know, it's always cool. Well, okay. So my, that's where my passion started for goaltending was around that time. And with Ian, through Ian Clark and working with him, what about you? Where'd you, how'd you, like, what age did you get started? What sparked it for you? What, what got you into goaltending? Yeah. One, you know, one summer I, I just kind of told my parents that I wanted to be a goalie. It was around, you know, around nine or 10. I played forward a couple of years and, um, I, I assume, I don't really recall, but I assume it was mostly about the gear and, you know, that, you know, the late, late eighties, uh, early nineties when gear was actually becoming a little colored and, and masks and things like that. So that was certainly the, uh, I, I'm sure my, my 10 year old alert goaltending and, and made a pretty decent life decision at that age. Yeah. And that worked out. Okay. Eh? It did. Um, it did. so growing up in Belleville, Ontario, as you start to become a goaltender, what, who were the guys you idolized? I mean, the eras have changed, right? From the age of 10, nowadays, you'd, some people might say that's late start. Uh, they'd probably have a goalie coach right away. What was it like for you growing up? Did you, how'd you learn? Who'd you emulate? Who were you cheering along on Saturday night watching TV? Yeah, so I, I definitely didn't have a goalie coach at that age. You know, that, those are the good old days when, when kids could just play hockey. And, you know, we were on the ice a couple times a week and played lots of road hockey and, and pond hockey come winter. Um, you know, but certainly no, uh, no extra training sessions for us back then. And, um, you know, I was a huge, huge Canadians fan, obviously Patrick Waugh, that was the wheelhouse with, with 86 and then 93, which was the real big one. Um, you know, I was a huge Habs fan and, and obviously being near to Toronto as well. When, when Felix came in in 92, 93, he was, uh, extremely stylish and young and, and cool. And so those are the two guys I saw a lot, you know, again, prior to internet and seeing a lot of hockey, it was just Saturday night. And, and those are the games I got, but I, I was a massive, massive wall fan, massive Canadians fan. And, um, and then, you know, I got a little bit older and started doing the training, uh, sorry, goalie schools in the summer. I, I had Rick St. Croix goalie school. I went to quite often, uh, numerous years. He was just down the street in Trenton. Uh, so that was an easy one for me. That was my first goalie school that, that I had gone to and, and always loved going there. And, and then the other one I remember is Craig Billington's in London when I, you know, probably 14, 15, when I could go up and stay, stay the week on my own. I did that for a couple of years. Of course, Rick St. Croix still coaching, still goalie coach yeah. with the, uh, AHL affiliate, uh, for the, for the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose. What was, you kind of came in in kind of a sweet spot there, right? You talked about Patrick and you know, obviously the influence we saw he had on the game, you know, starting sort of 86 and in through 93, like you were kind of right as the game was evolving, a lot more technical, a lot more butterfly. What was that experience like? Because there were guys, there would have been guys you looked up to playing in the NHL. And I'll never forget this, starting in the NHL, even in the early 2000s for you, there were still guys in the league that got up off the quote unquote wrong leg. <laughs> oh, no question. I mean, my first, you know, in 2000, when I, when I jumped right in as a 20 year old, Byron Defoe was the other goalie here in Boston. And, and he definitely, I don't think he ever got up on the right leg, um, you know, throughout his entire career. So it was certainly different for, 
for him, seeing a kid like me coming in, um, by that time I'd been uh, three years junior. So I, I would have met John Elkin, uh, who was my, my, my goalie coach, you know, kind of for life from, from the age of 16, 17. And, uh, you know, obviously we were doing, um, you know, the, the, the proper leg and a lot of slides and a lot of, a lot of knee action. So, um, doing that three years prior to going to the NHL and, you know, kind of being ahead of that curve as a 20 year old, definitely, you know, something that the older guys noticed. So you, three years in, in junior first year pro 2000, 2001, some time in Providence, but also like you said, NHL at the age of 20. What's, I mean, in a time now, here we are, you know, almost 20 years later, and we're just now seeing teams again start to give younger goalies a shot. For the longest time, it was like, you know, that cliche that, you know, goalies take longer to develop. And here you are in the NHL at age, what was that, what was that like at age 20 being in the National Hockey League? Um, what were the challenges, even mentally, um, to, to being on that stage one year removed from junior? Yeah, it was wild. And, and, you know, it was really like three months, four months, you know, finishing up in Kingston in, in, in May, April, and then being in the NHL in the start of October. So it, it was a shock, something I didn't expect. It was obviously injuries that allowed me to, to get that opportunity. And, and like you said, there was, there was barely any 20-year-old players, let alone 20-year goalies at that time. Uh, now there's a couple, but even now, it, you know, it's difficult to start out that way. And, um, you know, for me right off the bat, it was, it, you know, it was all mental, you know, that was the challenging part. It was still hockey and, and the game back then wasn't quite as fast. It was a lot faster than junior. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't as East West as it is now. And, and like we talked about a little bit with my style and, and the reason why Patrick Wall played that style and he was the best in these guys is because, you know, it was down the wing, it was straightforward. So you could. You could you could play well if you had good technique back then. You, you were able to. I was able to. I was always good at reading the play, and I picked that up pretty quickly. And it was you know when you have better players in front of you defending, you can read the play a little easier as well. So, um, but mentally it was hard just because I was so much younger than everyone else. Um, you know, and, and over a two three month period of living in a hotel and and trying to to manage that just that social life and fitting in and, and those kinds of things that was, that was the hardest part to really become a pro while you're in the NHL is much different than when you're with a bunch of other younger guys than the minors at that time trying to be pros. So, um, it was a steep learning curve and I was able to, you know, to be there three or four months right away when I was 20 and had a little bit of success. And it certainly, um, you know, was a, was a big reason why I was able to develop, you know, over the next couple of years in the minors. And when I, you know, when I was up in the NHL, I was always ready because I had those, those experiences when I was 20. Yeah. I was going to say, and then coming off, you know, OHL goaltender of the year uh, in the CHL. So obviously he's had, had, had some success, but we've heard it so often um, over the years and even Carter Hart talking about it recently, you know, junior to pro is just such a big jump. Now, you spent some time, obviously, up and down a little bit the first few seasons, playing in the NHL, but not full-time, until 03-04. So, and then in 03-04 with the Bruins, Calder Trophy, NHL Rookie of the Year. How much did those that back and forth of those first few years in and out of the NHL and getting that experience in the first year set you up for success when you made it full-time? Played 57 games in 0304 and won the Calder. All those experiences build up. Were there any moments that jump out now as 
like welcome to the NHL moments in that season or you had, had you had them all by the time you 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 became a rookie, you know, officially a rookie season. Yeah, no, that and that's that that was the big help for me is that I I had had most of those moments. I'd had the, you know, the 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 first start and the first win and the and the first road trip and and you know, the first time I got pulled and the first bad game I had. And so I got most of that out of the way. I had games where I would get called up in the, you know, I'd have to fly. I remember flying to New York um, you know, after a three and three on the weekend in, in Providence, flying to New York and playing that night, you know, dr- blowing into pregame skate and playing that night. So I had a lot of different experiences already in the NHL. And, you know, I had a great, um, my third year, I was playing really well up top and I got injured. And then I got that, went, got sent down and, uh, had a, had, we lost in the first round in Manitoba, actually Vancouver farm team at that time. Um, we lost, but I played great. You know, we just didn't score. I think, every game was one nothing basically and um you know I, I was ready you know I'd finally you know mastered the AHL and um I, I just knew I, w- I was going to be ready for the NHL I stayed I stayed in Boston all summer and trained and so you know it wasn't um you know I expected to be a backup to Felix I didn't expect to obviously have the the season I did and play 57 games and, and you know be a leader of the team but I certainly expected to be in the NHL that whole year. I was, there was no, um, there was no shocks that year for me. What's that dynamic like with Felix? You, you know, there's a guy you talked about, you know, one of your inspirations as a teen, one of the guys who kind of popped on the scene with all that style and all that success. What's that like all of a sudden having him as a playing partner? No, I was the best. I, I was so excited when they, they signed him. Um, July 1st, or I'm assuming it was around that time. And like I said, I, I knew I was getting set up to, to be in the NHL. I had that feeling and, and I knew I was going to be ready as long as, you know, I played well. So to, to be able to, to learn from him and, and, you know, again, our styles on the ice were much different, but off the ice, just to learn, you know, how to, how to handle media and how to handle, you know, expectations and, um, I, I remember extremely well one night we, you know, even like back then media was, you know, like to, to talk to a goalie, you know, media wasn't going to do that on a game day. And after the game, he had a TV thing to do with the local station. We ended up losing five to one and he probably didn't have his best night, but, and I remember them coming in like, Hey, you know, you don't have to go do this. And you know, you, you had a bad game, bad night. He's like, what do you mean? I mean, I, I agreed to do this. I'm going to go out and do it. I don't care about the game now. You know, I'll go and talk about it that's always stuck with me and it stuck with me at the time. I remember sitting beside him thinking, you know, that's, that's pretty stand up to go out there and um, just own it. And, and he didn't, you know, worry about the day to day. It was always a process. And uh, so there's lots of little things I took from him and, and he was just such a, a, a great supporter, you know, going into Montreal in the playoffs. I remember him talking to me about the playoffs and, and how to just, you know, manage, manage nerves, manage emotions. And uh, he was such a great help and, and just a great guy. You played in a lot of media markets where the you know, like intense hockey markets where there's a lot of media scrutiny. Obviously, Boston, we've already talked about after the trade to Toronto here in Vancouver. Um, outside of that lesson, like, do, do people realize how hard it is, especially as a goaltender, uh, to be in those markets? And, you know, when some of the questions, you know, I've, I've been in those scrums where they get kind of pointed directly after a loss. Uh, what, what's that like? How do you, how do you learn to handle those kind of things? Is that something that you think is a lesson young goalies coming into the NHL sometimes still need to learn? 
Yeah, yeah, no question. And and you know, I that's the one. You know, I look back. I know I could have done it better. Um, you know, over the years, I think that you just get that with age a little bit. But but certainly, it's uh, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than than people probably understand. You know, it's not you're not just there answering questions. There's a lot of responsibility with come with those answers and just dealing with those and. It's funny, I was watching a show the other day and Steve Young talking about NFL quarterbacks. I thought it was perfect and I wish someone had a, I had a, heard that in 2002. Uh, but he was talking about basically a thing, you know, the three ring circus and, and you have to be partners with fans, you have to be partners with the media and you have to be partners with, with management and your teammates. And uh, I thought that was great. And, you know, it really is, you really do have to have a partnership with that media nowadays. And um, you know, I think it was more confrontational back then. I think as, as a goalie, you know, you know, I'm sure, and I'm sure you saw this with Lou, you know, even in 2010, there were times when it felt like everyone was against you and they were trying to get you rather than, you know, and, and you had to be serious back then too, right. As a goalie to be so serious and you're always on, you couldn't flip a puck to somebody or go have a conversation with someone and warm up because people thought you weren't ready to play. Uh, there was that that stigma and that that went side to side with that. You couldn't do an interview on game day because you had to be, you know, on thinking about the game all day long. And, you know, I think I took myself too seriously at times. I took the the whole, you know, I wish I had to just lightened up a little bit and allowed, you know, to joke around a little bit and be okay with having a bad game and not having to feel like I had to be miserable when we lost and happy when and still just a little bit miserable even when we won. So um I think guys do a better job of that now. I think everyone's okay with the media a little bit now, but back in the day, it wasn't like that. And, um, you know, I think that partnership idea is, is a great way to think of it. Oh, it's funny you say that. Um, I was going to ask you how you think about not talking on game days now that you're on the other side of the microphone working in the media. And some goalies do, some goalies don't. Um, we hear different opinions on it from, from a lot of different people. But I, I guess I'd never thought of it, Andrew, in terms of if you were too aloof or too relaxed that sometimes you got judged as not being serious enough and that that was a real problem back then. I, I, I like the hope that that's changed. I don't, re, I don't remember it being like, feeling like that, but maybe that's because I was learning to be a goalie too and never saw it in the same light. Yeah, I, I mean, I always felt that way. I, you know, I felt like I, you know, I couldn't just be, you know, you had to be on all the time. And, and I, I, it's just not realistic. I think it's, you know, it's still a game. You, you have fun with it and you want to do your best and work hard. But, um, you know, at the same time, there's, there's times when, you know, you can goalies do still get criticized whether they, they care enough. And I see that here in Boston with Tuca, some, you know, up until, you know, even now, even though they went to game seven, even now there's still some people that think he, you know, does he really want the big game? Does he really want to win? And, and the, it's crazy, right? And, you know, he's a leader in everything. And to, to get this far, you, you can't have that mindset. You're not going to make it very long if you don't care. And, you know, there was times when, you know, I, I, you know, I know people or felt like people didn't think I cared, but it was the most important thing in the world. And that's why sometimes I was, you know, so standoffish because it, it just hurt so much that I wasn't playing well at times. And, um, you know, so I, I think, like I said, I think it's changed. The young guys are so well prepared for everything. And they've already gone through, you know, now juniors has media guys and they have to, they're on Twitter and they're, they're dealing with this much more, you know, podcasts like yourself, like this, you know, they're, they're dealing with this already, but, but for old five Oh six, all the way till 2012, there wasn't really a crash course in that for young guys. 
No, oh, that's that's really interesting to hear. I, how much did I mean? You were here in in oh nine oh ten. You watched Luongo go through that. Um, I'd know him a, a little bit, like dating back to the Panthers days, and we and we talk goaltending. You know, usually once a year, have a long conversation about goaltending for Clarkie's old magazine. And so I'd seen some of the humor, yeah, but it was never exposed in the media until the Twitter account. Like, how much do you think that was a game changer? Obviously, for him personally, he's talked about it. Do you think other guys around the league took note? Like. Hey, look, this this works. It's an outlet. We don't have to be judged strictly on how we interact post game. It's okay to have a little fun with it. Yeah, no, Lou's a perfect example of it. You know, in, in that respect, and you know, you knowing it, you you see that stuff behind the doors. But I guarantee you, in oh nine ten, you know, there wasn't a lot of joking around in Lou's press conferences when we were sitting there listening to him after games. You know, it was you know everyone was on him. Why aren't they winning? You know, why didn't we win in the yeah. playoffs? That kind of stuff. And nowadays, you know, I think he's realized, you know, when he went back to Florida to have fun with it and, and, you know, show some personality and it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not caring as a goaltender. So, you know, certainly, you know, it, if guys aren't being advised that way, which I'm, I'm sure they are, you know, Carter Hart and these guys, I'm sure they are being advised that way, but if they're not lose a great example of, of that back end of his career and how he changed and, and how the media, you know, changed perception allowed him to, to get a, a few more freebies. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, and I think that even around then, when you hear like the playoff, there were times where he tried to be self-deprecating and make fun of things. And he was absolutely roasted for <laughs> it in the local media. Yeah. yeah just, crushed. just hammered for like, me. You know, how can you make a joke at a time like this? That's right. And, and that's, yeah. that's what those big media markets, that's what it was like then. And it was hard to, you know, it would always get misconstrued. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. I want to talk, I want to rewind a little bit. You mentioned Tuca. Yeah. How, how's that re- like that relationship and watching him as part of the media side. And, and I'm assuming getting to know him a little bit around the locker rooms uh, on the media side, a guy you were traded for a guy. We still hear a lot about that trade to me. He's kind of like Carrie. Like, I love his ability to let things roll off him. It doesn't mean he doesn't care, but much like Price in Montreal, when things were going well, he was described as cool and calm. And early in his career, when things didn't go well, oh, he's not trying hard enough. It's like, hey, it's the same guy doing the same things. How much have you watched that with Tuca? And what's it like, you know, now building this relationship on an analyst side with the guy you were traded for? Yeah. So, so certainly again, when it comes like the, the cool and calm when everything's going well and, you know, not caring it, it's, you know, it, it just doesn't, like you said, it, it's the same thing. It's the same guy. And, you know, unfortunately that's, that's the way they are perceived at the times. And, you know, I think the more success you have, the, the more that goes away, but, but at, you know, the reality is that he shouldn't have to have to go to game seven to prove that I think his 10 years prior, 12 years prior to that should, should answer those questions. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, obviously the trade, you know, we're, we're, you know, I'm, that's always going to be a trade that people talk about and um, just be Toronto and Boston, the whole thing, you know, Pogi being involved. They just a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, history to that. So, you know, I've known Tuca a long time just from that trade and I've been back in Boston every summer. Um, so I, I skated with them and know them and we actually live you know, six minutes away from each other now. So we have mutual okay. friends outside of hockey. Um, my kids went to the same preschool at the same, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, we see each other around. We'll grab a beer if we, if we get a chance. And, you know, he's just a great guy. You know, he really is that, that you know, a great person, a really nice guy and a good guy to kind of hang out with. So, 
Um, you know, it just so happens that now I'm, I'm doing a little bit of TV here in Boston and, and we cross paths, you know, professionally for the first time. Um, but we always, you know, he's been, he's always great about it. And we, you know, we can always kind of, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a wink when we, you know, when we do talk and, you know, people recognize it a little bit more just because of the trade. Okay. So Toronto, a uh, couple years there, the spotlight of Toronto, Colorado, you're in Vancouver, Dallas stars, a lot of different voices for you over a short period of time from a goalie coaching standpoint. It's one of the things that I always wonder about is when guys do move around in a short period of time and, and it had full seasons in each stop, but with each new stop comes a new goalie coach, a new voice, new ideas, sometimes more forceful than others. Guys want to change your game or guys have ideas about what they think. Were, who were some of the voices that jump out to you over your career? Even even in Boston, you were there. Um, top of my head, I'm assuming it was goalie Bob, but uh, some of the different voices you had from a goalie coaching standpoint and how your game evolved as a pro. Yeah, absolutely. And so we started out, you know, here in Boston, not really having a goalie coach. I was in the, Brian DeCord was here for a year, maybe a year or two when I was in right. the minors. So I wasn't really day to day with him. Um, you know, he'd come down and work and, you know, as a, as a minor league guy, you didn't get any love from anybody. So for him to come down was, was super, you know, helpful. And, and I always respected him for coming down and, and helping the young guys. Um, and then, yeah, I had goalie Bob my, his first year, um, was my last year. So he was, you know, obviously a guy who played a long time and, you know, we never did anything really technical at that point. He was just a great guy to have there and, and talk to and, and you know, he listened and he was just very calming. Um, and then, you know, to, to go from, you know, and then I had Steve McEachin in Toronto, which he was in and out as well, not completely full-time yet, you know, which is crazy for anyone to hear now, but we just didn't have full-time NHL goaltenders, even, you know, a big organization like the Leafs. And um, Denver was the first place. I had Jeff Hackett, who's was very intense, very serious. Um, and, and we worked like work, 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 work. And it was a lot of work. And then the, you know, you've mentioned Clarky already a few times. Clarky was the best, you know, NHL guy I had, you know, we basically treated my whole year in Vancouver as goalie school. And, and that was the biggest uh, progression I had made at any point in my entire career, probably over in a season, you know, just the things he, he brought to my attention, the things we worked on, just made me so much better than what I was when I went into Vancouver and before I left. And the reality, like I wanted to stay in Vancouver forever. You know, I loved it. Um, unfortunately there was this pretty good prospect coming up that they didn't end up trading Corey Schneider. Um, so I had to move on, but, but I loved that year. The team was great. And, and like I said, Clarky was awesome. Just Can made I me, Sorry, I was just going to say, well, I, I am quite glad to hear that you didn't say you love Vancouver and you had to leave because this guy just kept annoying you with questions about goaltending all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I just wanted to ask you, because you're, the audience here is 100% goalie, so these are guys are going to get her. Are there any one or two little examples or anecdotes you can give us when you talk about the details and change your game with Clarky that year here in Vancouver? Because yeah. that's a pretty pretty rave review you just gave. So the, the, the biggest thing was to, to not try and be technical all the time for me. I was trying to make the perfect save on every play for with Clarkie. He got me into desperation mode, um, allowing myself to, to stretch out if I needed to don't try and push all the way over. Um, and, and then a couple little, like when I talk about pushing, getting, getting a stronger push by having my, you know, having my push like tighter to my body worked on that over and over again. I'd kind of gotten sloppy having it 
you know, just off my body and not being able to drive into it as much. But the big thing was the desperation. Uh, I remember him tell, telling me I had to turn into an alley cat, you know, be dirty, be gritty. Um, and we worked a lot of, you know, one on no two on two plays down low where I'm just, you know, diving and sliding and, and being athletic. And it, it paid off in games. I made quite a few saves in Vancouver that I never would have made prior to that, just reaching out and, and doing it in a, in a smart way, you know, doing it in a smart way, getting my glove in the right position, uh, getting it above the puck, getting my pad in, in the proper position and laying out the right way. So that was the big thing is turning myself into an alley cat. And we did a lot of that work. And, you know, the other thing, you know, another, now that I just talking about it the other, with shoulder saves, you know, I'd gotten out of, you know, trying to, I was trying to catch everything and make saves rather than, you know, moving shoulders into it short side. Um, I remember making a few saves in games after the holidays, after the Christmas holidays, um, just because I'd worked on it a few years. I remember making them in games thinking, man, this is fantastic. Like, I'm, I'm in a great spot with my game right now. So those were two, three big points that Clarkie and I worked on. And again, it, it all came from him and, and it made a big difference in my game. And I was able to carry all that to Dallas. And, and I had Mike Valley, who was another great guy, and with Valley, we did, we went back, he did a lot of hands work. We, I was with there with Kari Lettinen. So we did a lot of, a lot of finish work, a lot of, a lot of hands, a lot of simple right front, but it made a big difference in my game. Just getting back to, back to basics, catching the puck, steering the puck with a blocker, that kind of stuff. It's so funny to hear you talk about desperation with Clarky because I think a lot of people think of him as a, as a quote unquote technical coach. So that's, that's a fascinating anecdote. So now we, we, we get into after Dallas for a couple of years. You wind the career down by going overseas. Talk just quickly, and, and we'll let you go after this, but that decision to head over and, and, and keep playing first in Italy and then in Sweden, what, what did the experience was like? What led, led you to that decision? Just wanted to keep playing? What, uh, what was that like? Yeah, I, uh, so I, I went to Europe during the lockout. I was in Finland right. in, the, in the first lockout in 05, 06. It was my first time over there, and, and I loved it. My wife and I... Um, we loved it over there. I loved the experience. And, and I had always said that I wanted to finish over there. I wanted to finish up in Europe. Um, if I had the chance and I was getting older, I was 30, 34, we had one kid and, and then, um, you know, so I wanted us all to have that experience. I had a couple offers to go to the minors and, and be that third guy, but there's a little bit of burnout at that point too. Um, like you said, I bounced around a little and, and when you're that backup guy and, going, you know, after playing a lot, you know, early in my career, I was, you know, it was a grind for me and, you know, I was ready for something completely different. And, you know, I, I just wasn't, I guess I, the, the, the honest answer, I just wasn't ready to, or willing to, to grind it out for two or three more years to, to maybe get 10 more games in the NHL. Um, you know, the, the, it, my gig had kind of run out and I wanted to go over to Europe and have a good experience with my family. So went to Italy, which is, you know, the, the opposite of, of grinding. It was, a, it was a great experience, lived downtown Milan and, and traveled in the mountains and, and just had a great experience. And then Sweden the last year was, was great hockey. And we had just had the twins. So I needed to go to a place where we knew the doctors and we had friends in Sweden at the time that helped us out. So it was just a perfect opportunity to finish up there and play, play competitive hockey for one last time. And I had a great time doing, doing both of those places. So over all those years and all, I'm going to bring it back to equipment real quick. What's your favorite mm-hmm. set, setup of all time? Like you were coho early in your career. Yeah. Transition yeah, that, when that became Reebok. But is that when you look back at old setups, like 
which one would you put on the wall of the office? No, it's definitely the the, the coho setup in Boston. That's uh, I get a lot of get a lot of love for that one. Um, but that that was my favorite setup, and and I was I was uh, I was pretty proud of being that one of the first guys in Reebok too. You know, it was myself and Lou and and Jiguera, I believe at the time. Yeah, it was probably someone else, you know, maybe Turco. Um, but we were we were the first guys to roll out the Reeboks. I remember rolling them out in Finland during that lockout and being, you know, we were, I was probably one of the only few guys in the world to have it. So I was pretty pumped to be a Reebok athlete. Um, but they're from Boston, so I could always go over and maybe get a free pair of running shoes and things like that. So the Reebok stuff was great, really cool too. But but certainly the the Coho 590s is 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 the best setup when I look at pictures now. Okay, perfect. Hey, Andrew, listen, uh, this has been fascinating. I, I, we got, you know me, I probably could find 10 more questions that I'd love to ask, but we're, I've already Next taken time. Up more Next time, time. than, yeah, more time than I promised I would. And I can't thank you enough for your time today. I know our listeners are going to love this and we'll definitely make sure there's a part two. Maybe, maybe next time you're in town in Vancouver and, uh, and we'll grab some lunch on me. Awesome. You're on. Sounds great. Thanks for okay. having me. And sorry, I didn't bring up any, I never had to carry the clipboard. <laughs> so yeah. fortunately for me, because if I had of you, would I would have been ranting like uh, like Ozzy was about that too. All good, all good. We'll say we'll find some we'll find some things to rant about next time, buddy. Beautiful. Take okay. care. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. You got it. He he was great. I'm glad you guys brought up that those uh, old co sets uh, because oh. it was they they were they were beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous, and and when we start rattling off coho and numbers and 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 references to sets, it's it's great. And the the other part is when he talked about being in a hotel in and for a number of uh, weeks carving your teeth in the National Hockey League and how isolating it could be. It you think you're just up there, you're living the life, but yeah, teams, guys have families, and when they're at home, and and you're kind of just there. And no matter how many times they invite you over for dinner, it's just it's just different. So I thought that was uh, that was neat as well. Uh, Jordan Binnington is kind of a comparable to, in, not directly to Raycroft, but burst on the scene, uh, took advantage of an opportunity. Binnington, obviously, a n- number of years older uh, when he did it, but I'm really happy for Jordan and the start to his year because there were still, even though he won a Stanley Cup and, and accomplished what he did. There were still those people that wondering, is he a flash in the pan? And not not saying he's proven himself to be a lifelong NHL goaltender yet, but he started the year really, really well. Yeah, and well, and I think we should first start by saying I don't think there none of those people were speaking on this podcast right now. No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't mean Definitely that. Yeah, not. I'm, yeah. I mean, we've seen. You know, I think Link. We were on record. As I would have mentioned as, you guys by name and called you out. Yeah, if, exactly. If that <laughs> was the case. Hey, listen. One of the uh, local hosts of a um, well, <laughs> the, the TSN Vancouver radio station um, that I do weekly hits on uh, basically took that route. Well, Jordan Bennington was on his hot streak early in January. Ooh. I was I was happy to point out that I thought he was wrong and that a lot of the things that I saw in Bennington's game as early as January last year looked very sustainable to me. Um, mm-hmm. And knowing, you know, obviously the track record and the history and the changes he'd made and the coach, you know, talking to some of the coaches that had been a part of it in the minors and in the offseason, I really did think it was sustainable for him. And so I'm not surprised by this. What I wondered 
was whether the Blues would sag a little bit in terms of their commitment in front of him because goaltending never exists in a vacuum. Team play matters. Um, and there have been times where they have leaned heavily on him early in the season, but you're right, Darren. He's been he's been really good. Um, we certainly weren't among the ones asking questions, uh, but consider them asked and answered through the first month of the season for sure. Yeah, happy for him. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting road that that he's taken and continues to to thrive. And were you were you really that big of a pain in the ass when Raycroft was there? I kind of still am, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, I'm. I kind of wonder if the Canucks have to give out clauses. You know, like, like you know, when you sign here, you have to deal with this. This we'll pay you this, but you have to deal with Woody. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it. Like, there's probably a a clause in there that like you get bonus paper if you're a goalie for having to answer my questions all the time. Oh, I, you we know, know I, some of them love it. Some do, some do. I, I I'm not sure Jacob Markstrom's a big fan, uh, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember actually. Uh, going out of my way, um, I think it was a text message or, or an email, just you know, wanted to make sure after Ryan Miller left the team uh, and signed in Anaheim, just to say thanks because he'd been so gracious with his time. Um, and I, you know, he was a guy who very passionate about the position and, and I had a lot of questions over the like, three years he was here and he was always good to answer him. And he put it this way. He said, um, he said, at least you want to learn. Like you want to, you're asking questions because you want to know the position and understand the position. And he appreciated that, but I'm not sure everybody does. I can be pretty freaking annoying. Uh, I <laughs> joked with Flurry when, when Flurry came to Vegas, Darren, that was the line. I'm like, oh man, like now you got to come see me like twice a year instead of when you're in the East, it was only once a year. He's like, these are the sacrifices I have to make. <laughs> uh, it, it's worked out for him. I think maybe those, uh, those appearances and those visits have, have done some, some added good. It's been it's been positive. He's he's had a great year uh, so far. Uh, the new new uh, real use for the term Allen Key as uh, as Jake helps the St. Louis Blues from the bench to win a Stanley Cup. And when your margin of error is Game Seven on the road and you need one or two breaks along the way, maybe that was the key. Uh, and the scout goaltender in the video session, the Razor's edge, very very thin. As we thank Andrew Raycroft, Jake Allen. And of course, Adam Gans. For Kevin Woodley, David Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports Surrey, the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Talk to you next time.